what's the big deal about the Old Testament? Lots of people today ignore it as primitive, irrelevant, and full of baffling, hard-to-believe characters and events. There's even a growing movement in some churches to promote the idea of only Jesus and to dismiss the entire 39 books of the Old Testament altogether. But if you throw away approximately 60% of the books in this Bible, you aren't hearing what God is saying. And that ignorance of our Hebraic heritage leads to deception and bad theology. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. It only happens once in a decade, so please don't miss one of the world's great theatrical events, the historic Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany. My husband Peter and I will be leading this week-long tour in September and exploring some of Europe's great cities that inspired the Protestant Reformation and will end in the Bavarian Alpine village of Oberammergau to witness the five-hour reenactment of the trial, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. The Passion Play was first performed in 1634 when the villagers staged the event in thanks to God for sparing them from an outbreak of bubonic plague. This year will be only the 42nd time the tradition is carried out. We'll begin the tour on September 16 in the city of Prague. This will include an overnight stay to visit some of the city's historic Jewish sites, and then the chapel where Reformation leader Jan Hus preached. Then our private coach takes us first to Leipzig, the city of Johann Sebastian Bach, and then to Wittenberg, where Martin Luther lit the fires of the Reformation. At every stop, you'll meet expert local guides to take you through the monasteries, churches, castles, and homes of some of the great personalities who shaped European culture and faith. We'll also engage in prayers about anti-Semitism and believe that putting our feet in these places will make a difference. On day seven of the tour, we arrive in Oberammergau to experience the Passion Play and overnight in one of the village's charming hotels. There's much more to this special week from the 16th to the 23rd of September. To find out all details, visit our events page of our website at exploits.tv. We do have very limited space left, so please book early, and we'll look forward to spending a great week together. Hope to see you in Oberammergau. Shalom, I'm Christine Darig. One of my Arab pastor friends admitted that he had been brought up in a Christian church that ignored the Old Testament because its contents were too revealing about the restoration of Israel. Why should we spend time learning and teaching what the world calls the Old Testament? Actually, to be accurate, I prefer to call the two main sections of the Bible, first of all, the Hebrew Bible are the Hebrew Scriptures, because the title Old Testament implies something that's no longer relevant. 
Whereas the Hebrew scriptures are the foundation of all Bible truths. Secondly, a more accurate way of describing the New Testament is the New Covenant, which is based upon its description in the Hebrew Bible. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, we learn that God made the New Covenant with Israel. So this is why Jesus acknowledged in John 4.22 that salvation proceeds from the Jews. Now, in total, the Bible has 66 books, 39 in the Hebrew Bible and 27 in the New Covenant. That means, percentage-wise, 59% of the books in the Bible belong in the Hebrew Scriptures. However, that math is not entirely accurate because a number of books in the Hebrew Bible are very long. In fact, the nine longest books in the Bible are found in the Hebrew Scriptures. Of the seven shortest books in the Bible, six are contained in the New Covenant. For example, somebody commented on Google that he randomly took a Bible off the shelf, a standard authorized version, and the Hebrew scriptures in that particular volume totaled 676 pages, while the New Testament, the New Covenant, totaled only 210 pages, making a total of 886 pages altogether, which meant that the New Covenant comprises approximately 23.7% pages of the whole, or roughly one quarter of the Bible. Therefore, it's probably more accurate to say that about 75% of the Bible's pages are the Hebrew Bible. So don't you think we need to understand the first three quarters of the Bible if we hope to follow where the new covenant picks up and carries on with the story of redemption? It's often been said that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So as Christians, we really can't be without knowledge of both Testaments. This week I began to do some research and it just solidified in my mind all over again that if the Hebrew Bible makes up three-fourths of the entire pages of the Bible, that amounts to space that certainly matters to God. We should study all of God's Word and appreciate all of the canon of Scripture. This week I began to do some research and it just solidified in my mind all over again that if the Hebrew Bible makes up three-fourths of the entire pages of the Bible, that amount of space certainly matters to God. We should study all of God's Word and appreciate all of the canon of Scripture. By the way, the biblical canon of Scripture is a set of texts or books which the Jewish people regard as authoritative and a set which the church also regards as authoritative Scripture. The English word canon derives from the Greek word meaning rule or measuring stick. The new covenant was foretold in the Hebrew scriptures in Jeremiah 31:33. God's law had been repeatedly and flagrantly broken, so God determined to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, whereby he said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, the new covenant means we can go directly to God through the mediation of his Messiah, Jesus, for salvation and 
forgiveness of sins. And the Holy Spirit will then write God's law on our hearts, enabling us to know right from wrong and to do right. In the Gospels in John chapter 3, a Jewish leader named Nicodemus visited Jesus under the cover of darkness. And Jesus told him, Truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, meaning born from above. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time? But notice Jesus rebuked him, saying, You are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? In other words, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus what he would say to many in the churches today. Why are you ignorant of what the Hebrew scriptures teach? Not only do we have the passage I mentioned previously about the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, but also Nicodemus should have been familiar with God's promise in Ezekiel chapter 36, where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. Although Israel was given God's law on tables of stone, they had repeatedly broken God's law, so he promised to put his law and spirit within them, written on the tables of their hearts. This is the new and better covenant. So today I'd like to mention at least five reasons why we should make a lifetime study of the Hebrew Bible as well as the New Covenant. And reason number one is this, and never forget, that the Hebrew Bible was Jesus' Bible. Let's let that sink in. The Hebrew Bible was the only Bible available during the ministry of Jesus and during the early church. And yet it was from these authoritative Hebrew scriptures that Jesus was declared to be Lord and the early disciples understood salvation from the Hebrew Bible. Furthermore, when Jesus appeared to his apostles in post-resurrection appearances in Jerusalem and walking with two disciples along the road to Emmaus, he opened their minds to all the prophecies concerning himself beginning with Moses in the Torah and many references on through the prophets. He taught them about himself exclusively from the Hebrew Bible because, of course, at that time, the New Testament didn't exist. In fact, during his earthly ministry, Jesus also testified that all the Hebrew Bible pointed to him. Take, for example, John 1.45, and I'm going to quote the Aramaic Bible in plain English. Jesus' disciple Philip announced to Nathanael, We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the written law and in the prophets. He is Yeshua bar Yosef from Nazareth. Jesus also testified of himself in John chapter 5, saying to his Jewish people, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the Jewish scriptures, that bear witness about me. And in Luke chapter 24, in one of his post-resurrection appearances, Jesus himself stood amongst his disciples and said, Peace be with you. 
but they were frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. So he asked, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? And he invited them to expect his feet and his hands. He said, It is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And while they were still in disbelief because of their joy and amazement, he asked if they had anything to eat. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate the fish in front of them. And then Jesus reminded them of the words he'd told them before his death. While I was with you, he said, I told you that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures where it's written that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that also in his name repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Amen. Now, secondly, another reason for studying the Hebrew Bible is that we'll be balanced in handling the whole tenor of Scripture, the whole counsel of God. You see, Paul said in Acts 20, 27, that he was innocent of the blood of all men because he didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel, the whole plan and purpose of God. You see, failing to understand and to declare the whole counsel of God in both Testaments can put us on shaky, unstable ground and make us easy targets for heresy and error. We simply can't fully fathom the New Covenant without understanding the foundational teachings in the Hebrew Bible. That's like trying to understand the end of a story without reading the beginning chapters. Basically, the Hebrew Bible describes all of God's covenants and foundational principles which we should understand to grasp the history of redemption. Furthermore, in the book of Genesis, the Bible teaches creation, not evolution. The theory of evolution teaches a process in which something complex is developed by itself from a simple beginning into a higher form of matter and life. So evolution mocks the Creator God. Also, how can we comprehend God's demands for a sacrifice for sin without knowing the Hebrew Scriptures, without learning about the sacrificial system, as well as all of God's appointed festivals, which are all types and shadows of the progression of salvation and redemption through Messiah. How can we understand the atonement if we're ignorant about Passover as well as Shavuot, the holiday which Christians call Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement? There's no better explanation of the substitutionary atonement that Jesus made available on the cross than in the Hebrew Scriptures in Isaiah chapter 53. And how can we understand praise and worship if we haven't studied the Psalms? From the Hebrew Scriptures, we learn about the character of God, His holiness, His mercy, His long-suffering, and His ways that are so much higher than man's ways. The Apostle Paul founded churches based upon his knowledge of God from the Word of God and by the Spirit of Revelation. As one theologian has explained, had the Apostle failed to make known the whole counsel of God, Paul would have stood accountable before God for any future doctrinal or moral era that the church carried out. But Paul was a great Bible scholar. 
He made an important statement in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is a very important verse, that all scripture, not just the New Covenant, but all scripture, including the Hebrew Bible, is God-inspired. After all, when Paul made that statement, the canon of the New Testament didn't yet exist. Of course, Paul was referring to the Hebrew Bible as the Holy Scriptures that were able to make his protege, Timothy, wise unto salvation. It's possible for a person to receive revelation about Jesus the Messiah simply by reading all the prophecies about him in the Hebrew Scriptures. Of course, it's a marvelous bonus to be able to read the good news in the Gospels, but a person nevertheless can be saved just from reading the Hebrew Bible. It's such a rich study to look into the lives of great men of God in the Hebrew Bible, such as Moses, Joseph, the son of Jacob, and King David, all of whom were types of the Messiah in various ways. Now, after his conversion, Paul accurately handled the Word of God, and that's why the Lord entrusted such a great teaching ministry to Paul and why his epistles became scriptures, many of which were Midrashim commentaries on the Hebrew Bible. Now, my reason number three to study the Hebrew Bible, Jesus said he came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So if he came to fulfill the Hebrew scriptures, we must understand what he came to fulfill. Listen to his words in Matthew 5, 17 to 19. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then, he said, annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now an expert in the law came to Jesus and tested him with a question, and we find this interesting account in Matthew chapter 22. Teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? How can we understand Jesus' answer if we don't know the Hebrew Bible? And Jesus summarized the law with his answer. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This, he said, quoting the Torah, is the first and greatest commandment, adding, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus declared that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Similarly, in Matthew 7, 12, Jesus said, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Later, the Apostle Paul echoed the same thought in Galatians 5, 14. Paul said, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Yet, 
Many people erroneously characterize the God of the Hebrew Bible as an unloving, wrathful God, and the God of the New Covenant as a God of love. But that's false. That's wrong. It's a gross oversimplification. God's love and grace are themes in both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Covenant. In both Testaments, God is seen as a God of love and mercy and also as a God who judges sin, evil, and unrighteousness. So don't be deceived into thinking that the New Testament is only about a God of love. God's future wrath and judgments are described not only in the Gospels, but also in the Epistles and in the book of Revelation. And Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone. We meet the same God in the Old Testament as we do in the New Testament. In both Testaments, we consistently encounter a God who is faithful to his promises to bless the obedient and to curse and punish the disobedient. God takes sin and repentance seriously, as should we. In the New Testament, book of Acts, chapter 10, the apostle Peter made an important statement about future judgment that God commanded us to preach and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Number four reason to study the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, is to understand Bible prophecies about the Messiah and the everlasting gospel. Paul begins his great epistle to the Romans by saying he had been set apart by God to preach the gospel that God had promised beforehand through the Hebrew prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding God's Son, who was a descendant of David, and who, through the Spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. If we don't know these facts in the Hebrew Scriptures, such as the fact that Jesus was descended from King David and will inherit His throne, the New Covenant doesn't make as much sense to us. Paul also stated in Galatians 3.8, that the scripture foretold that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 3 that all nations will be blessed through him. And Jesus himself confirmed this when he said to his Jewish people in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. When Jesus said that, thousands of years had intervened. Yet, it's the nature of faith to see beyond present circumstances. We also must see by faith the Lord's promised second coming. And like Abraham, let's rejoice that that day shall soon be seen. Rejoicing like that is an act of faith. So when we study the Hebrew Bible, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand and take delight in every gospel fulfillment. Paul made the important point in the New Covenant in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that the accounts and stories of individuals in the Bible were written and recorded for our instruction and are examples and warnings for us who live at the end of the age. Think about that. 
The tragedies that happen to the people in the Bible are to be regarded by us, not just as interesting historical events, but as having potentially personal significance. Their record is a warning to us that great privileges may be enjoyed, but also used to our destruction if we're not careful. The apostle in particular mentioned how the Israelites were struck down during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness due to unbelief, murmuring, and complaining. And this was recorded to admonish us, he said. Now, according to the commentaries, all of the Hebrew Bible in general warn us of at least four possible perils. Number one, the peril of self-indulgence, such as over-responding to appetites for food and drink, for pleasure and learning, materialism, and so forth. While all are for our good, all may be unduly pursued to our moral peril. Secondly, there's the potential peril of sensuality and passions related to our associations in life. There's so many lessons to be learned through biblical accounts such as Samson and Deliah, David and Bathsheba, and moral pitfalls clearly prohibited by God for our own good. A third peril taught in the Hebrew Bible is yielding to idolatry, whether it comes in the form of physical idols or our family or friends, success, our house, our career, and particular pursuits and so forth. A fourth peril is yielding to the sin of presumption. King David demonstrated a remarkable insight into our frail tendencies as human beings when he prayed in Psalm 19, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Presumptuous sins are a subtle peril for mature believers. We may presume upon God's will without seeking Him, or we may even put God to the test. Well now, I've so far mentioned four reasons for studying all of the Bible, including, of course, the first 39 books known popularly as the Old Testament, but more accurately known as the Hebrew Bible. And for the sake of time, I'd like to offer one more reason, and my fifth reason to study all of the Bible, including the Hebrew Scriptures, is that studying the Hebrew Scriptures helps us to understand the second coming of Jesus and the times in which we're living now, while the nation of Israel is being miraculously restored. First Chronicles 12.32 is an interesting verse in the Hebrew Bible. It tells us that 200 leaders from Israel's tribe of Issachar were men who understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. And we need to be like them, understanding the times. We can only do that by knowing all of the Bible. When we study all of the Bible, we're protected from the error of so-called replacement theology. Replacement theology is the error that God has finished with the Jews and has replaced them with the church. It's easy to be deceived if we only study the New Testament. But in fact, the Hebrew Bible predicted the return of the Jewish people to the Holy Land in the last days. And it foretells Israel's deep repentance before the second coming of Jesus. How can we understand the last days if we have no knowledge, for example, of that great chapter 12 of Zechariah, which describes Israel's revival and reception at last of the Lord Jesus, and Zechariah 14, which describes his return to the Mount of Olives. 
How can we understand the last days if we have no knowledge of the prophecies and accurate messianic timeline given to us in Daniel chapter 9? We're at a great disadvantage if we're ignorant as well of Ezekiel chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39, and many passages and chapters of the book of Isaiah as well. How important it is that we read and understand the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Covenant for the five basic reasons I've enumerated today. I hope this study has strengthened your faith. And to help you further, we invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store, which has a Bible reading plan, as well as information about our videos and eBooks. There's also a 24-7 library of video teachings at our website, exploits.tv, where you can learn details about our upcoming prayer conferences in Jerusalem or our Bible prophecy conferences elsewhere. Jerusalem is mentioned in the scriptures more than 800 times, and God himself has chosen to establish Jerusalem as his dwelling place on earth forever. So there's a very special presence of the Almighty that's palpable when you visit the Holy Land. Seriously pray about coming with us to Israel. This is where Jesus taught on the temple stairs, he sat on the Mount of Olives, and he wept over the city. I enjoy sharing your thoughts and questions through the social media, so contact me. And in the meantime, I'll always be praying for you and for the peace of Jerusalem, ever contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, the faith which is the whole counsel of God revealed in both Testaments of the Bible. Until our next time together, Shalom, I'm Christine Dard, Maranatha.